You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from your semi-occluded vocal tract, have you practiced today? Vocal fam, we have a very, very, very special episode tonight that we warned you about um, and told you to come back for this week. Uh, we are thrilled that we have our dear friends all returning guests to the podcast, Alan Henderson, John Nix, and Lynn Helding, who were our three co-chairs uh, as we got um, our groups together to get the science-informed voice pedagogy resources together through through Nats, um, and we're thrilled to have them. So, if you've been waiting to hear about these resources from the from the uh, people in charge themselves, here they are, it's Vocal here. Fam. Uh, but welcome back to Vocal Fry, everyone. Yes, thank you. Uh, okay, so let's go around, Thanks. introduce ourselves one by one. I'm gonna start with Lynn. She's down on my screen, so I'm gonna go Lynn first. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm Lynn Helding. I'm professor of vocal arts and opera, and I'm also coordinator of our voice pedagogy program at the Thornton School of Music at the University of Southern California. And I'm also happy to announce that I am now the editor-in-chief elect of the Journal of Singing. And we congratulate and we welcome your new tenure in that uh, position. Thank you. Um, uh, We're looking for when when do you actually take over? May, June, at the board meeting or something like that? No, May 1st, 2023 is the official start, but we're doing lots of transitioning between now and then. I'm sure. I'm sure you and Dick will be in regular conversations all year. It's very good. All right, John, you're over next over on the screen. Hi, I'm John Nix. I am Professor of Voice and Voice Pedagogy at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And I also am the founder of our Vocal Arts Laboratory. And I think the actual term for our position this summer with the project was we were the Uber Lords. But... (laughs) Yes. But uh, yes, that is official. what that is. If you want to be official, we were the Uber Lords <laughs> with an umlaut. Yes. Um, yeah. Very good. <laughs> there must be a Marvel character with that name. Doesn't is... I, don't, I don't know. Uh, don't take him down the Marvel thing, so man. So you're going to lose me if we start there now. And finally, rounding out our group, Alan. <laughs> I'm Alan Henderson. I'm the executive director of NATS, and I also teach voice, and I have taught diction for many years at Georgia Southern University. Um, all three of these uh, individuals, like I said, have have um, been on the podcast before. If you want to mm-hmm. go back, Lynn's episode about her book, The Musician's Mind, was in May of 2021. Um, John has been on at least once before uh, mm-hmm. on in our Now You Want – no, Now You're a Voice – no, wait. Now you're a voice teacher. <laughs> now you're a voice teacher. Part three um, on uh, teaching in higher ed. Um, he and Lorraine Sims did that episode, and then uh, and Alan has been on a few times, including yeah. in fall of 2020 with Alan's aerosol adventure. 
Yes. When he was yes. out to Colorado State for testing. Also, mm-hmm. spring of 21, he and Carol did an episode just kind of on the many offerings that Nats has, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually Now You're a Voice Teacher Part 5. Um, yeah. So anyway, friends of the podcast, thrilled to have them back. So let's start with the backstory. How did we arrive where we are now? Because it's actually not a short story. <laughs> Oh, no. It's like, what's the Hobbit? From here to there and back. (laughs) Bilbo Baggins. Oh, great. Okay, folks. This might take three weeks to read the prologue here, so buckle up. (laughs) Well, um, so that's that's an interesting history, um, which, you know, whenever we talk, gather with as our voice family, we always find about two-thirds of the people anywhere we are that have been to some of these events. Um, so it kind of dates from 2015, I think, when Scott McCoy and Don Simonson and Ken Bozeman hosted the first Pedagogy Summit, um, which they just lumped under Pedagogy Interest Group, and that was at the Ohio State Yes, don't University. forget, don't forget <laughs> Let's the not forget the, the uh, in, in March of 2015, and that was it was great. It was kind of like a constitutional convention, except we didn't produce a constitution. But we asked a lot of really important questions, and I think you know took a lot of great notes. But what happened was we just we we just got going, and then it was like, oh my gosh, where do we go from here? And so um, things bogged down a little bit. And uh, in the meantime, I moved out here and took the job at Southern California, and uh, it, this is a side note, but it's interesting. A mysterious box, I'm, I kid you not, arrived here at um, at Thornton, and a, a, an anonymous person said, I found these at a garage sale, and I think they belonged to your predecessor. And what they ended up being were slides from Bernard's vibrating larynx film, um, his own personal slides that he took on that trip in the 1960s. And so long story short, from there, we actually got a grant and uh, produced a Bernard archive and ended up having this Bernard symposium around those wow. materials. And around that time, I was really overwhelmed at how many people uh, said they would come. I mean, almost immediately, I sent out notices, and it was like, I'm there. And so I thought, I got thinking, these are kind of all the same people. We should probably do another summit, which we did in 2018 in May here at USC. And the um, the same people, some folks were involved. Unfortunately, Don Simonson uh, was delayed in Europe and could not make it, but Everybody else was pretty much here, and um, the charge was to take us from where we ended up in 2015 to really, and you were there, Nick, you remember? Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, Alan helped us, became our on-the-spot parliamentarian. Um, It was really important that we not go back and reinvent the wheel, that we not go back and not only ask the same questions, but that we re-answer them, because a group of well-known pedagogues had done that. So... We really moved very quickly. We were only here for um, the symposiums on a Friday, but uh, the summit was all day Saturday and only half of, of Sunday, if you remember. Yep. We're racing for the exits at 1 o'clock. Um, but we got it done, and it was amazing that we got as much done in the two days as, as we did. Um, so from there, I guess the easiest way to end that part of the story is to say... Um, 
2018, we sort of had all this material, now what do we do with it? And Alan Henderson, um, who who is uh, my favorite quote from Alan is, now we have to put the meat on those bones. So Alan would call me every couple of months and say, we gotta do something with this material, we gotta put some meat on those bones. Um, so what happened, of course, was COVID, there was COVID in there yeah. somewhere. What was but, that? Yeah, what, what was that thing? Uh, we managed to um, get a group of yet other pedagogues to come forward and write this sum, summation of two summits paper. So I'm going to let Alan talk about that a little bit. Before we just go on to Alan and, and that paper, can I just add one thing about L.A.? And that is to say that we produced that wonderful list of of things that must, should, or could be taught in a pedagogy class. It was one of the biggest things we produced yeah. that week. And I still use that list in class. Yeah, and yeah. and if you, if you, I use it literally the second day of class when we did history of vocal ped. Um, but if mm -hmm. you've listened to our episode and you've seen our social media and you've seen my build a voice teacher with Marvel characters, <laughs> every single thing except for rock expert was one of those things yeah. on that so that whole marvel character build a voice teacher exercise was from that thing which we created at the end of the los angeles summit so that was just that's, for you vocal that's fans awesome, but you that remember in. we created the impossible person remember that we and now and, done, everybody went oh my god and, and what i make them do is uh, there are five rows and and the top row is is all s skills that are five dollars four dollars three dollars two dollars one dollars but they only get 15 total wow. they only get 15 bucks total and i had my class do it as an exercise and their responses as to what they would want in their voice teacher were remarkable really really remarkable mm -hmm. anyway sorry alan let's go on to the paper <laughs> that's fascinating uh i think one of the important things out of the second summit was that we had a writer's group uh, that was appointed at the end to take what we did and turn it into uh, an article, which uh, was published in the September, October, 2021. So just exactly a year ago, uh, issue of Journal of Singing. Uh, and uh, so that article is something that, you know, is tangible, that uh, was a, a great outcome because it not only summarized the two summits, but it, it really coalesced uh, and put together a framework for some of the, the topics and, and all the things we had talked about. So uh, Amelia Rawlings Bigler and Catherine Osborne were the primary authors. And of course, uh, some other folks who were at the uh, summit, the second summit were also involved in, in helping put that together. but. Certainly, uh, Amelia and Catherine did the uh, lion's share of the heavy lifting on putting the article together. And so while it does kind of summarize some of the things that Lynn's already shared, um, the meat of it really is this comprehensive voice pedagogy framework that they kind of helped put together with some, uh, actually some really nice graphics, I think, that kind of help, uh, help us understand a little bit more uh, the, the task we have, I guess, as voice pedagogy teachers. Absolutely. I actually, that same day in class, that's their required reading. 
mm-hmm. um, for that day of class now that I was just Summer referencing um, is is the, is the, is that paper. Um, uh, out, out of curiosity, I have a question, and Alan, you may know the answer to this or not. Do we know if that uh, article is only available uh, if you're a Nats member, or is that one? No, it's uh, it's freely available. Uh, right. You should be able to search for it. Either I will singer to come up, or it's actually linked uh, on our on this voice resources. And I will hyperlink website. that in the show notes of this uh, episode. Great. Perfect. Great. All right. So then, then where did we go? So we have an article and then COVID happened. And I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what was going on. I, uh, yeah. Well, we, we, uh, so all of us sit in some capacity. Um, John is actually co-chair of the voice science advisory committee. And so after we got this paper out, we started thinking about Alan, I think was thinking about a workshop and, materials and we were it still was a little fuzzy about where we go next but it seemed uh, to us that we needed some kind of um, some kind of home and we couldn't keep calling ourselves the interest group or those people who met in 2015 <laughs> so we uh, we created the um, the voice pedagogy subcommittee as a subcommittee of the voice science advisory committee and I agreed to chair that, and John uh, was like, let's do this, and Alan was like, I've been saying we gotta put the meat on those bones, so we met most of last summer really creating this workshop, and that, so that's really how we took it from, you know, the again, just the realm of ideas to the paper to really nuts and bolts um, resources that people could use. and. So I, I actually, before we go any further than that, I do want to say one thing about how we chose this name or this um, designation, Science Informed. Please. Um, and there's something, it, it was interesting. I've been presenting a lot in the last year or two, and I've, I've used this part of this talk in many, many, many situations, and it's fascinating to me how many people are interested just in the terminology. So I start with... Um, fact-based voice pedagogy, which is what the American Academy of Teachers of Singing put out in a paper in 2014, and that sounded great at the time, but then I'm, I can't do this because we're doing just audio, but when I do it on a PowerPoint, I have this, this head that comes slowly up from the bottom, and it's Kellyanne Conway. And most people start snickering because they get it. Kellyanne Conway, who brought us, yes, alternative facts, right? So your facts are your facts, but my facts are my facts, and we're not going to agree. So (laughs) well-meaning as that term was. I reject your facts and substitute my own reality. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I thought that was just voice teaching. Sorry, sorry. Moving on. But so I I dispense with that. That's I don't really think it's viable anymore, right? And then we have evidence-based voice pedagogy, which you know, full disclosure, I'm part of that group. Along, Kari Reagan uh, mm-hmm. took that paradigm from the medical field and applied it to voice pedagogy. Um, Ken Bozeman, Lynn Maxfield, Kari Reagan, and I've been working on that idea. The the thing about that idea um, is that it it. The idea is that a voice teacher's lived experience, and we might even say that their studio is their lab, 
is as valid as you know scientific discoveries and you know I can certainly argue that um, to a certain extent um, but I'm gonna leave this to John because he has some really wonderful ideas about how we're gonna talk going into the future about interrogating certain questions like just what is science anyway <laughs> and science ain't that <laughs> what I just described I mean it doesn't mean it's not valid but it's not science so then we move on to vocology which was a word that I loved and championed I named my curriculum out here in Southern California after it but now we have uh, the vocology association PABA has uh, put forward a certification process so we're not in the realm, in my view anyway, in vocology we're no longer in the realm of just freely exchanged information. We now have this certification that's going to go along with it. That has uh, been a matter of concern to a lot of people. Um, so we were trying to find something more generic and science informed is actually, the t I'm going to give myself a plug subtitle of my second upcoming book <laughs> because I'm looking for something that is not science-based, which means foundational, or science-bound. I still feel like the artist's experience and the teacher experience is valid. It is equally valid. But um, I, I still I like that idea that we're going to always put what we say, at least from a physiological and acoustic uh, lens, through the lens of science, through what is known. Um, and so we, we, that's how we settled on science informed. And I'm actually kind of working on a, a very specific definition um, to help people understand that it wasn't a word we chose randomly or term we chose randomly. Um, and that we were already dealing with some of these other words in the lexicon. So I'll just finish by saying it's been fascinating to me how many people were really interested in the entomology of the word and what we're going to call this thing. Fascinating. Well, and I will just, you know, on the heels of that, just say, you know, part of as we see this rolling forward is, you know, we have to reinform or, or inform for the first time people what science really is. Hmm. You know, science is something that is constantly updated. Science implies peer review, hmm. um, where multiple people look at your work and say, yes, this is valid, or I think you need to rethink this um, before it becomes part of the, the canon of knowledge. Um, and science uses highly agreed upon terminology. Um, and thus, from the standpoint of a science-informed pedagogy, that's saying that science informs the application. It's the why you make the choices you do, not just on your experience, but it's examining your experience and going, hmm, I wonder why that's valid. And then you examine the literature that's out there and you go, oh, maybe I need to rethink how I'm saying that to my students, you know? Um, so it's that constant um, iterative process where, you know, you're continually examining things. And I think, you know, we need to help people understand that um, science 
is something that is constantly growing and sometimes science makes mistakes and or or things are updated and you know certainly there are things about uh registers for instance that we are we are updating a, a lot of our thinking about now that we have uh better equipment to examine things so um on the heels of what Lynn was saying, I think the science informed is such a, a great way to talk about this. And on the heels of that statement, if I just may really quickly, Christian Herbst said on this particular radio show that, as in, in his own words, we've been cleaning up Vandenberg's work for 60 years. So, I mean, you know, and yet we all champion what he was able to accomplish. And here we are. Sorry, move on. No, no, Absolutely. Um, so, uh, after uh, kind of kind of following along, you know, so we have the subcommittee of the of the pedagogy. Uh, I mean, of the voice science advisory committee, and uh, so Alan and Lynn and I got together and um, devised a survey, and it had like thirty seven questions. And we were looking at all three levels, the undergraduate, master's, and doctoral level. Mm -hmm. um, some of the questions were kind of open-ended, giving people a chance to, you know, give us a little richer kind of answer about their courses. Um, and so that went out to everybody. Alan had the list of, you know, that everybody in their membership records says that, you know, they teach pedagogy and it went out and we had 696 people started the survey and 191 completed it. So, um, you know, we've had the summits and the, the summary of the summits. Um, and so, you know, that's a, a bottom up thing where we have a lot of people who are deeply involved in this work um, come together and prioritize what we need to be teaching. And then on top of that, we have this survey um, and 191 members of Nats completed it. And so that helped us kind of, again, assess the, okay, we have the, we have the ideal that we've talked about what we need to be doing. Now let's look at, at what we are doing now so we know where we need to, where we need to go. Um, I think the big take home from all of that, from that survey was 70% of the programs represented at the bachelor degree level only have one pedagogy course, at least mm -hmm. based on the responses sure. we got. 70% yeah. of the undergrad programs have only one ped class and 40% of the master's programs have only one ped class. So. That's got to be a really darn good class. Um, and, and I would imagine the doctoral number was similar to the master's one, if I remember, um, wasn't it? There was a little more flexibility at the master's. I mean, at the doctoral level, there was the, the I wouldn't say the majority, it wasn't a majority, but a plurality was more than one course. Oh, got it. Um, and looking at that one course, it typically had two credit hours uh, for academic purposes and it met either two or two and a half hours a week so that is a lot of content you figure maybe a 15 week semester so you have 30 class periods and you're meeting an hour um, to an hour and 15 or so minutes um, that is a lot to cover in that amount of time so yep. 
all the more reason for us to have some really clear um, curriculum guidance for people so that, um, you know, drawing on those summits, that's like, these are the priority items. How do you fit that into your 30 class periods? Um, and, you know, the upshot of that is we did it. We got the meat on them, their bones. Um, as we're going to elaborate more, uh, them bones, them bones, um, <laughs> them pet bones. Um, oh, oh, my. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, you know, we got detail from people about, like, what topics were they covering in those courses. And the big five, uh, no surprise, anatomy, physiology, acoustics, voice health, and voice development. But that means a lot of other things were getting left out. And, you know, we have some data on that. Um, and then we have a breakdown from that survey of, like, what topics were people covering in a two-semester uh, model. Um, and so as we prepared our materials, um, and, you know, you had a huge hand in those syllabi, Nick, and, and I can't thank you enough, you know, um, for your work on that, that, you know, we have a one semester course laid out, um, day by day topics. And we have uh, Lynn and I, you know, pulled together, okay, here are, here are chapters of books that you could use for this topic, or here's pages of this article you could use for this topic, or here's a website that you could use for this topic. And so, you know, we got a lot of meat on them, their bones. And, and the same is true, you know, we have a, a really nice, rich syllabus um, for the two semester model as well. So yeah. that's my story, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, no, let's talk. I also oh, sorry, think go ahead, that. Uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was no, just going to say that I thought. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think uh, a little bit to thinking back to kind of what some of the foundational questions we were trying to answer, especially for those who may listen who were not in higher education and maybe not thinking in the way some of us who have to deal with curriculum and deal with, you know, the amount of time that we have in classes and, and degree programs uh, that have to deal with. Some of the it, over foundational issues we were trying to address are knowing that there is a lot of content um, that we want to cover. Our best bet is to do the best we can to coalesce at the undergraduate course level some common uh, elements and bring the whole community around more of a common syllabus idea and a common base because we all know that you know I get graduate students from X person and Y person and you know obviously our students move around from program to program and we need in order for the graduate programs to do what they really should do, which is deepen knowledge uh, and deepen our understanding uh, for students at those levels. And then of course, at the doctoral level as well, we have to work hard to, uh, to do our best to ensure that a majority of the students who are exposed to a vocal pedagogy class at the undergraduate level, one, have a a more consistent experience 
Now, there are always mm-hmm. going to be unique aspects based on the teacher and their unique interests and the depth of research they may have done in one aspect of voice pedagogy. But understanding what that foundational knowledge base should be from a collective understanding of everyone who's been involved gets some helps us get some buy-in and understanding that those of us who have graduate programs we're going to help one another so that you know the next generation of teachers of voice pedagogy and voice teachers uh, have a better grasp and a more consistent understanding than maybe we did when we went through voice pedagogy the second aspect is ensuring that as many degree programs that are voice related even have exposure to voice pedagogy so you know we have a lot of degree programs that don't require that course we have a lot of programs that don't even mention it as an elective option uh, in in some of these courses. Where I teach, every voice primary takes voice pedagogy. If you're a music ed student, you have voice pedagogy. Yes, we fit it in into a very crowded degree program for most people. So under you know, so helping the coal community uh, structure some of these things and tier them so that we can move on and then begin talking about, okay, assuming that you've taken this undergraduate course in this new construct, now where should we go with a master's degree pedagogy course? How should that move people forward? And how should we create the barriers that help a person have the right background before they even get into that pedagogy class. Because another thing we know we face are cross-listing of courses that tend to be small enrollment courses. So we end up uh, currently with a lot of master's degree students who are actually sitting in an undergraduate voice pedagogy class and may need to sit in a voice pedagogy, undergraduate (laughs) voice pedagogy class before they're able to actually do master's level work but yet they're kind of right now taking the undergraduate course and supplementing that with some kind of research project or something to kind of give a little bit more heft and and justify the graduate course credit. So these are things we know that have systemically existed and we know that in order to kind of move the field forward and do the and to better prepare the next generation of voice teachers and voice pedagogy teachers, then we really needed to do this this hard work. Uh, and I'm really proud of the group and proud of everybody who's been a part of it that we've been able to get as far as we have so far with, with the project. You know, I think what you just said is a really important point in so much as that what we have put together, and I want to hear more about exactly what we've actually put together already but i think that the idea that what we have put together very similarly to science itself is going to be an evolving set of resources we're going to keep adding to it this is a uh, we use the phrase living document right? right like this is not a here's the thing we've done now see ya <laughs> um you know, so this will be something because we have not created a master's 
level coursework yet for this mm-hmm. or a doctoral level. And I kind of look forward to those discussions because, for example, I think if you look at most people's syllabi, whether they were graduate or undergraduate, most everybody that I know, the first couple of semesters of PED are basically the same things. What we saw when we reviewed the syllabi was, whether it was undergraduate or graduate, the first semester was info dump, the second semester was practicum. And so, anyway, it's it's exciting that we, we have things to, to consider moving forward just with with that kind of thing. All right, so let's talk about the where we are now, though. We, we So you all were created as this subcommittee, and then you gathered a bunch of us together, and what happened? <laughs> Can, can we just, like, make sure we say about the bunch of us together part? <laughs> we actually um, put out the call and got a volunteer. We had almost 40 people working in four working groups. And, of wow. course, you were one of those. But that's, yeah, wow, thank you. <laughs> that that's is a lot. a lot of people to get together. <laughs> it was. And, you know, they really, you know, they really followed through. And we, I think, had our first informational meeting in November of 21. And, um, everybody produced stuff, you know, into the spring, and they knew that we had to have it ready for prime time by this July 1st workshop. So we're really thankful to all of those people who gave their free time. And each one of those subcommittees had um, two chairs. So they they were really responsible for making sure that their group of volunteers got everything in on time. But, you know, thanks to modern technology and Google Drive, we were able to work across, you know, four or five time zones and, and get this thing done. So we, we just want to make sure everybody feels thanked and acknowledged and their names are somewhere on that website. But but even okay. beyond the thank oh sorry even beyond the thanking them and acknowledging them I think that ties back into something Alan said which is was that this is now something that has been vetted through more than like the four of us oh yeah you, you know like right it's a yeah it was definitely a bottom up uh, community source project no doubt about it sorry John you were gonna say something well right I mean on, along those lines I mean we talk about the number of people involved and that it was bottom up and all is that. Uh, another thing we really want to emphasize is that pains were made to include all genres and use inclusive language and prepare people not only for careers inside academia but outside of academia. Wonderful. You know, so when we talk science informed, um, you know, to give an example, let's talk. Let's talk about um, breathing and and laryngeal position, and so. If we're discussing uh, laryngeal position and, and tracheal pull and so on, um, if we're wanting to do Western classical singing where we might have that slightly below speech level position, um, then you know the the deep low classical breath is is an, an ideal to try to achieve. If you're not in that genre and you don't want to maybe have uh, your larynx sitting at that low level, then there might be other things to think about in terms of how you breathe. And so, you know, the science informed then leads to what we practically choose. Um, and, And that's not to say that it's necessarily going to be, you know, like a clavicular breath, but it isn't maybe going to have that, you know, belly out, you know, kind of thing that we might associate with the more uh, classical genre. And to talk about 
the physiology in that way and that is the helps inform okay why are you giving that student that instruction in the course of a lesson and so you know including that kind of discussion so that we are presenting um, a pedagogy based on uh, informed by the science um, that can help us teach in whatever genre and 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 you know inclusive language because um, you know, when I was in grad school 25 or more years ago, um, the fact that um, that people with bachelor's degrees in music education would have um, would have non-binary students in their choirs in high schools, that was not a concept that was being taught at all. Yeah. Um, and you know, I started having students who are saying, hey, you know, I have this non-binary student in my class or I have trans tenors in my choir and so on. And it's like, okay, wow, I need to up my game and how I teach my classes because I'm not preparing them to answer those questions when they're out in the field. So that's right. That's right. We, we, we really, we, we, this is why this needs to be a living document um, because our field is going to continue to evolve and we need to continually evolve how we talk about singing, how we talk about uh, the people we teach, um, and to be respectful and to be inclusive in everything that we do. So we've tried to make those steps here and we will continue to do so. Well, and we don't know 25 years from now what the things that we'll need to include in this will be. I mean, I'll be on a golf course somewhere not paying attention to this. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, we don't really know. Um, uh, who am I kidding? I'll be in a meeting. What am I saying? Um, but but anyway, um, okay, great. So can we just run through the four things, four categories? products that we, I don't know what to call them, the four subgroups that we had, what did they produce? Well, first of all, there was a syllabus subgroup. Right, so yes, they, that one I can speak yeah. a, a lot to myself, and we we've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times. And right. I have I'll have some thoughts here that I want to share with everybody w- when we finish. So yes, we did put together two syllabi, um, one three syllabi, a one course semester one semester syllabus that if that's all you have that's what it was for and then a two semester sequence first semester second semester one of the things that we did see as like i said mentioned a minute ago the most common theme that we saw as we looked through other people's syllabi in the industry was that if you have two semesters at the undergraduate level the first semester is info dump the second semester is is practicum um that was true across the board even if there were other things included with practicum that always that theme always remained consistent so we did kind of keep that model but we included more things than just that in the in the second semester. So anyway, that 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 was the syllabus group. I, I can speak to that one myself. And in that syllabus group, that you guys cross-checked what you had against the summit documents and the the journal of singing articles, so that we were staying in line with all that prior work. Yeah, actually, the very first step that we did was I actually went through every single topic on every single syllabi and actually 
tallied up within those how many like what topic was covered the how many times like how many courses covered phonation how many courses covered respiration how many courses covered and i tallied that and that's actually how we created the initial ordering of the calendar we then went back and tweaked that to make more sense sequentially and I will admit there are many things about this course calendar that might look like Pernas, but there are also things about it that don't. Um, one of the things that I found myself, I'll just share this now, I was going to share this later, but I found myself very thankful for this because this was very rejuvenating for me and it made me call out my own bias in my own teaching of this class. Meaning I had realized just what an acoustics nerd I am and it made me go back and reevaluate the need to maybe be covering some other things that I was neglecting a bit yes. and so literally call, made me call out my own BS like very <laughs> honestly um, and so that was definitely a good outcome from this for me and my students yeah. um, so anyway Thank you for adding that, John. <laughs> <laughs> so the second, the, uh, I think the second group was uh, the terminology. As the resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah was the, the second was resources, text, resources. Videos, ah, right. um, and articles, multimedia. And then the third was terminology, because those two were mine. The, uh, mm-hmm. uh, terminology, wow, what a great job they did. And What a thing. That's 53 pages. Yes. And that, you know, speaking of rejuvenating your course, I mean, I used to go to the trouble of doing my own every semester, and now I just have a link. <laughs> like, that's where it, all the terms are that will be on the exam, but not not, not totally, because I'm not using them all. But, um, yeah, it's great to have, you know, just an acknowledged resource like that. And that one really did, uh, I think, John, John and I, um, uh, Ken Bozeman, Matt Hoke, did the initial chairing of that and a lot of thoughtful work went into that and then John and I took it through yet another refinement phase so it's been through you know a number of iterations and again you know I just want to echo John we were trying really hard to think about current topics future topics but also try to give you know sort of generic enough um, definitions that weren't idiosyncratic or personal and we also had tried to make sure that we left terms out of there that we can't yet agree on um, not not only their definition but whether they exist or not <laughs> so, um, you know and that's that's where it's interesting I mean the, the artistry people can use whatever term they want to describe timbre but um, that becomes you know that's the realm of, of art and the humanities to describe tone colors <laughs> so uh, we tried to sort of keep it within the science-informed frame and then keep it as as helpful to our students, really, and our colleagues as possible. It's and okay. I, yeah. Some of us still looked at our students today and said, well, maybe harmonics don't exist. <laughs> I don't know who that was. Well, was anyway. a mystery. Uh, any, anyway, uh, what was the fourth group then? We have fourth four- group? workshops and special summer programs and places you can go to learn more about this stuff. Indeed. Because we know that not everybody either 
is at a place that has that. And so they want to be able to steer their students and say, hey, look, you know, that's really not my expertise, but I know where you could go to really bone up on that. Or the teacher who is going, you know, I got to up my game. It's been this many years since I was in school. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Shenandoah, or I'm gonna go to Utah, or I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna go to one of these programs, Forever. and I'm gonna get my butt kicked, and I'm gonna <laughs> come back and and really be a, a new person teaching this class. Yes, we've featured many of those programs on the show yeah. over the years. We're actually going to have uh, – I've been in t- talking to Brian and Lynn, and they're going to bring the boss man on to talk about SVI sometime mm-hmm. this season. So um, we've never had them on to, to discuss SVI. Um, we've had a lot of those other summer programs already on the podcast in mm-hmm. subsequent years, from Shenandoah to Westminster to uh, Kelly and, R- and Richard to – all of us with acoustic voice ped to whatever. Um, uh, But listening to everything y'all describe, I mean, it it sounds like it would be great even, because I'm thinking for myself, like I don't teach a voice pedagogy pedagogy course. And yet, like the benefit of this being a living document, like I would think it would be nice for anybody just teaching voice. You could go and it'd be a great way to know like, oh, these are some good articles for me to read just to keep up on pedagogy, to keep up on what's the most current thing what's going to help me in the studio um like it would kind of be a nice resource just for myself to be able to go in there and be like okay this is this is what's being read right now this is what's new this is what's coming out these are workshops i can go to if i would like to get my own butt kicked um but like not just if you're teaching pedagogy courses certainly useful for lots of people yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that this made me do that we kind of that you all did, you mentioned it briefly. I forget if it was Lynn or John, but as you all kind of took the syllabi, you added assignments and possible assignments to yeah. match our kind of assessments that we had mentioned. And you also added uh, the, from the from the resources list, you added possible readings or websites or whatever. So one of the things it also made me do was reevaluate what readings I was using <laughs> for particularly some of the lectures that I was neglecting. Uh, and even just made me reevaluate, uh, like, like for example, the, the Tuesday's reading was Johann's 1987 article. I hadn't actually been using that for class. And I included it this year. Like, they had read their textbook chapter... The, day, the class before and then I made them read Johann's article and we kind of you know delved into uh, you know things like resistance and blah 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 subglottal pressure um, which ended up being a very good setup for today's lecture on phonation um, and and so it, 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 it's it's been a it's been a very rewarding thing I mean really some of them readings are ones I was already using but but uh, you know one of the things that I also wanted to add about this is that as I was taking this syllabus which I had a very involved hand in designing. It was. It became wildly apparent to me, even as I went through those resources document, that there is no textbook that actually suffices to teach this course. No, there's not. But it also happened that 
Roman had actually asked me to review a prospectus that was written that, that had a whole bunch of chapters laid out by Lynn Helding. <laughs> and so I promise vocal fam that there is a textbook that's going to come out that will suffice the topics that we have included at least in these courses so far. Um, and, and and hopefully and, she'll get it done in this lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything about that. <laughs> um, because what I found myself kept wanting to do, and I'm sure pedagogy teachers have been having this problem forever, is I found myself, I want, I, I'd like to use this chapter from this book right. and this chapter from this book. And, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that maybe sometimes, you know, there are, were materials just when you know, put on reserve or something that I need you to read chapter four from this book. Right. You know, because I... Let's just say something. I, you know, I, when I started teaching years and years ago, a much wiser and more experienced teacher said to me, you know, there's no one perfect textbook. And I went, what? <laughs> and I said, no, they don't exist. You, you know, you're, you're lucky if 75%, 80% suits your needs. You're always going to have to find supplemental material. And you know what? That instantly freed me from this futile search for the perfect textbook. And I've, ever since, you know, I've been very happy with the ones that I've been using, but always those supplemental material. But the catch is sometimes you have to, as you noticed or noted, Nick, you have to refresh that supplementary stuff. You know, I mean, there's some just goody, goody oldie ones, but there's there's always new stuff coming up, and um, we should all try to, you know, make our little pledge, you know, once a year <laughs> to refresh at least some of those readings. Um, well, and I would add, I owe you all a, a, a bit of thanks also in the fact that you included this lovely little podcast uh, in the resources <laughs> list. And as such, it freed me to also include about 12 <laughs> different episodes supplementary to their reading for about 12 classes throughout the semester. And I never really felt comfortable doing that. But at that point, I was like, you know what, we're going to do this. Yeah. And so I don't have to say as much in class now. <laughs> um, it's just a pre-recorded lecture. That's right. Just watch play. Okay, I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow. <laughs> In an hour. Yeah. It's movie day. Well, <laughs> one of the other things, though, that I, that I thought was really nice, though, that you all did were the assignments. And I want to thank you because I'm also including a couple of the assignments that, that you all had on there. I actually love the very detailed uh, lesson observation assignment forms, um, whoever added that. I thought if that was you, I figured it was you, John. I'm very grateful for that because it's well, a one and you need to thank Kathy Price because the that opening rubric where you just have to circle, um, you know, behaviors and so on. That's from her, and then the the latter part with all the the prompts and so on, and the notating the vocal leases and stuff is mine. So it's really kind of amalgam, uh, but thank you. Well, yeah. I'm using that one. I'm using the, uh, which was the other one? The Val Modifying Lab that's on there. Um, but I, but, but I also, we did some fun ones. Um, th th this week on Tuesday, and this is a plug for next week's episode. I made them, they had listened to both of our breathing episodes, both the breathing episode and breathing undone that we've done over the past two years. And they had finished their, they've, 
we've done our lectures, whatever. And I made them divide into groups and they recorded their own breathing philosophy podcast. And next week on the show, Sarah and I are going to listen to those episodes and then provide some commentary just so we can all see how some of our students are thinking. Right. Not that the information will be perfect or anything like that. Yeah. But I think it will be a wonderful exercise in us getting to see like, oh, wow, they took that away from that. I have and them do an elevator speech, which is much the same thing. It's like, okay, you're on, you know, and someone says, you're a voice teacher. What's up with the breathing thing? Can you tell me about that? You know, and, and it's like, okay, you got 60 seconds, go. <laughs> yeah, and similarly, I have a, um, I learned, I'm going to give a shout out to Kitty Verdellini. I learned how to do PBLs, problem-based learning, which is from the medical field, right, where you present someone with symptoms oh. and you have to figure out, yeah, the diagnosis. So I do that in some of my graduate exams, and then I always include um, a, like an interview question. And I set it up, you know, where they have to, they're giving a master class and all of the voice teachers are there, <laughs> very skeptical. And they ask them, you know, they ask the interviewee, you know, please tell us what your method of, what your ideas are on breath support. And they have to give their, like the elevator speech, they have to give their spiel. Mm-hmm. So um, these are real world things, right, that we all encounter. and. Oh, and I, I'm very insistent, at least in my syllabus and my work, um, and I think this is part, also part of why we wanted to start so fundamentally, is that people have to be able to explain scientific concepts in plain English, mm-hmm. and then they have to be able to actually use those ideas, right? And so that might be easy enough when you're talking about muscles, but it becomes much harder when you're talking about acoustics and things that you can't see and hear. So um, that's, that's I think, um, one thing I want to say about the science part too. I found a year or so ago, I finally sort of found this lens and it's a field. It's called transla- translational science. And it's very hot field, uh, particularly in the medical world, particularly in pharmacology because um, and helping patients understand the drugs they're taking, oh, right? And yeah. also understand whatever interventions they're going through in plain language needs someone who understands the science, but then who can relate it to the person who maybe doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another thing we were trying to go for and in the terminology list as well. Um, yeah, lab bench to bedside. Yeah, exactly. So how do we get, and as we all know, you know, the really, truly um, difficult stuff is always going to be found in that acoustics piece. And, you know, you can't just immediately start talking about quarter wave resonators or we lose literally 90% of our audience every single time we lose them. Um, so we have to still, I think, we're still working on ways to find the language to at least get people in the door. Um, and I think that's a really important part of this project. You know, one of the other things that I've enjoyed with the material, though, is that even though I'm teaching to this specific course that we designed and using materials and all that kind of stuff, I still do think, though, that the teacher of the course still does have a degree of academic freedom within that. For example, let me give you an example. It's already happened this semester. 
class one, two, three, four was, was a class that we deemed listening to singing. Well, when I teach listening to singing, it is my introduction to psychoacoustics. So I was still able to frame that material with readings and content that I f I have a fairly unique way, I think, of framing the way I teach listening to singing. And, and I was still able to do it the way I do it. Um, I, I didn't feel handicapped or, you know, handcuffed that I, I still didn't have uh, the freedom to deliver the content in the way I wanted to deliver it. So, yeah, I think the, the, that's a really rich part of the, the site is, is the assignments and some of those resources, because there's obviously more than anybody would use, but there are lots of options for you to choose. And if you get tired one semester, you want something fresh, I'll do this, you know, I'll do this assignment for the same topic. And so the one I've been doing for the last three or four years, see how that goes with students. Uh, and, and, you know, getting that, having that opportunity to crowdsource some of the great things that our colleagues have been doing in their courses for years has been, you know, really rewarding, I think. I, agree. I think also just one little trip back to the survey and to the textbook topic, uh, you know, one of the things we also kind of in a community way outed ourselves about uh, is, you know, some of the books we're still using to teach pedagogy, some of us, and how we haven't, we've, we, we, are, we are all creatures of habit, and uh, sometimes the path of least resistance uh, is keep doing the same thing we've been doing since I started teaching the course. Uh, and so, you know, it, I think, if anything, the project has brought, you know, to the table some issues related to that, and also that you know that the fact that we are going to up our game as a you know, as a sub community of the voice world, uh, and we realize that we need to up up the game, and we need to make sure that we are being good colleagues by sending the students that have been with us for four years to the next stage as well prepared as they can be to get better and to go deeper and to be richer in their experience of singing and their experience of teaching. That's right. uh, and that to me, you know, if, if we can get there as a community and we can really begin to rally around this construct and, uh, and engage more and more people in teaching uh, this sequence and in this structure, then I think, you know, it's not a short game either. And, I, and I've said this multiple times, you know, we're, right. we're in, Nats at least is in the long game and That's always right. has been. And so we we know that it's, it's, it's a long game to make the strides we wanna make for the, for the long term, but we have to start somewhere and, I think all the people who have been a part of this project so far, and particularly those who have agreed to kind of pilot uh, and jump in and have the flexibility to jump in this year, trying this construct and uh, and adopting the resources are, are really the pioneers that we're gonna have some great feedback for from after this semester. John? Yeah, and it really becomes 
you know, I was hearing Alan speak and, you know, it's an equity thing because we don't want to have a world of the pedagogy haves and have nots. And, you know, you get to the graduate level and you're going to have people who've come through, you know, maybe my program or Alan's program, you know, or Nick's program, and they're going to come into a grad program and be like, let's go. And you've got other people coming in who, uh, okay, our undergrad book was Vinard, and oh, I don't know, I've not heard any of this, and nothing against Vinard, but you know, that's a 52 year old book. And we all love the ransom note font. And, and <laughs> we, we do. We do, and books, yeah, which, as as Ian Howell said, is serial killer font, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it is, a, it is a real equity thing, too, that we, not only are we saying, you know, here's a bar that we all need to achieve, but because of what the groups did, working groups did, that we're providing people with the tools you know, it's not just, okay, we, we expect the standard of you, but here's how we're helping you reach that standard with syllabi, with assignments, with, you know, here are resources that you can use with websites and so on, so that you're not just hung out to dry and like, I could never do this, you know? So that's, I think, is a really beautiful thing about what Nats has done here with championing this because, I mean, at, at, at a real level, it's an educational equity thing that we are trying to provide everybody around the country with the, with the chance to get that knowledge yeah. so that they can move on. Yeah, and on the same note, I just want to say one thing about, um, you know, te- well, actually two things that I've noticed. Um, one question I got a lot this summer was, you know, are there resources for people who teach high school? And what about teaching in the studio? And so just for the listeners, I just want to make sure everyone knows we're well aware, but literally we had to start somewhere. <laughs> and so where we decided to start was, um, you know, people who teach in a college university setting and teach pedagogy class that's where we started but i mean the thing sarah said earlier we can't it doesn't mean we can't extrapolate or people can't extrapolate some of that info for teaching in the studio the second thing i want to say is you know a lot of times when people think voice science they immediately think acoustics and machines Specifically, what I don't know what you're talking about, (laughs) right? And so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in the chat, but there's something you know. This isn't quite um, the resource for pedagogy teachers, but it might be. Um, This was another project of the Voice Science Advisory Committee was to was to produce very practical applications, and this was our previous president, actually two presidents ago, Karen Brunson's initiative was to provide materials for people so that even people mid-career could learn things about voice science and start to kind of take that those steps and so we got together and my thing was we've got to disabuse people of this idea that science equals equipment science equals tech science Mm -hmm. is all about acoustics you know and so we came up with this idea of no tech low tech and then do, was the last one John high tech I, yeah so we had no no tech low tech and high tech and it was a series of three articles 
and the first one David Meyer and I co-authored was the no tech because it was my idea and I wanted to help people understand that science also isn't just acoustics there's cognitive science and you don't need machines to talk about that all you need is a piece of paper and pencil um, I'd rather see people using some digital tools because I think they're a little bit easier like journaling and things like that but we try to provide people really specific um, entry points, the no, the middle, the nothing, and then medium and high. And the, the last thing I'll say is something I say to my, my students who are now teaching, and they all tell me, I'm really comfortable with the physiology, I'm really pretty good now with the motor learning stuff, but I'm terrified of the acoustics piece. I'm terrified to teach that. And all I can say is, you know, you're not alone. And <laughs> everyone out there who's scared of that stuff, the best way to learn a topic is to teach it. I'll say that again. And That's the right. To and learn a topic is to teach it. And you'll and keep, you. right? That is the one lecture I still, though I give three of them in my course, and I still prep hard for that one every year because, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to keep in your head. And um, but if you can teach it from your own understanding, you will get through to your students. You know, if you're working in the physics lab, it's it's already the curse of knowledge. You're already too high above your learners to probably be able to understand where they are conceptually, which is often nowhere. <laughs> well. That's exactly, the points you just made are literally the points that Sarah and I made in our format vision talk at National this I summer. Know, and I, I mean, that was know. literally the point. One, you have to decide where you're gonna onboard with, yeah. you know, kind of your point about no tech, low tech, high tech, you know, like you need to choose what, where I'm gonna on, on ramp into this material. And then our takeaway is, you ain't never gonna be done with this journey because there's too much yeah. for you to ever, ever, Yes. Because here's the thing, some of the science on the acoustics is like over 200 years old and we haven't digested it as a community yet. Yeah, yeah. It ain't new physics. No. <laughs> <laughs> but so many of us stop at the other side of that door, you know, and I, I tease yeah. my students and say, you know, I didn't go to music school for this, <laughs> but, you know, but we got to jump in and we have to, you know, do the best we can r wrestling with that knowledge. and yep. With all of it. Well, and the best way to learn something is not only to teach it, but to have to translate it, mm -hmm. right? That's that's yeah. where you really learn. That is true understanding, I think. And I am going to enjoy that when I teach motor learning this semester because it's something I've been avoiding. I don't avoid any acoustics, but I do avoid motor learning. Anyway. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I think another aspect, too, is, uh, you know, when you're uh, – this syllabus and some of the materials here are great self-evaluation tools if you're either a teacher – or teaching voice pedagogy, just to sit by and say, okay, yeah, I could teach that. Yeah, I could teach, oh man, I don't know very much <laughs> about that. I really need to, you know, either in applying it in the studio in your lessons or in the classroom as a teacher of voice pedagogy, it could, you know, it could really be a really good self-evaluation tool for you to sit down, no matter how many years you've been teaching, to sit down and look through that and some of the resources and, and uh, it just kind of check 
the boxes of the things you really feel like you have a deep level of understanding and the places where you feel like, oh, I could really use some help here and there and either self delve into some of the resources or at least you know where your gaps are and uh, you can you know make a plan to improve you know and to integrate some of this material Uh, and i think some of the things we don't have on the site yet that we're still going to be working on or our repertoire related things to teaching uh, and some ethics and professional conduct uh, resources, uh, some mentorship resources. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, those kinds of things are coming. And particularly one of the things we haven't got to that we must get to are some of the uh, curriculum forms that a lot of us in higher education have to use when we want to either propose a new class, revise a class, uh, just some of the common language and coming up with some of the justification statements for why we need to move from a one semester to a two semester course and why I'm fighting for this as a, you know, as a teacher in my program. I think one of the things we really didn't mention in all our conversations is that we really did collectively come to the understanding that we really do need to move toward a standard being a two semester sequence yeah that is not possible for everybody right now but if we begin to message that this is the standard going forward this is what we're advocating for as the primary professional organization uh a lot of my you know putting meat on the bone statement really goes back to the struggles most people have with those who are accredited by an ASM with the lack of specificity around pedagogy in the standards uh, that exist. And so if we understand that all those standards are the skeleton, and then it is our job to put the meat on those bones for our subset of, of our curriculum, our whole degree programs. And, and so this is you know, us accepting the mantle that we're going to do that and then, you know, fighting the battles and providing the resources to help others kind of make new standards move forward and put specificity around a very uh, nebulous standard that may be in a uh, in a guidelines book. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, I, I'm going to kind of end us there. And say, you know, Vocal Fam, I'm not going to give away any information yet, but there's a rumor that these three may come back this season (laughs) um, to talk about some moving forward initiatives with this. And so let's just say that we'll pause the conversation here until the spring. Let's just leave it at that. Is that a fair statement? Sure. G- great, <laughs> great. Um, uh, give a, give me give give us three seconds and tell us one single thing you're watching right now. One single thing that you are currently <laughs> watching. Yes, John. Rings of Power. Say it one more yeah. time. What was it? What'd you say? Rings of Power. Rings of Power. Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings yeah. prequel on Amazon. That's a very good, an- very good fine choice. answer. We started the fa- uh, we started the family through the trilogy this weekend. So I mean, who knew that Galadriel was such a? You know? I love it. I love it. 
I'm watching High School Musical, the musical, the series, oh, because, <laughs> because my niece is in it this uh, season, and oh, so wow. she's one of the new characters on that season. This year. Phenomenal. So yeah, so it's it's been fun to watch that. <laughs> I love it. Oh god. Lynn's been watching her computer screen as she tries to write another book. <laughs> That's right. I have no fun at all. Um, no, unfortunately, I'm I'm watching Outlander season five. I got oh. talked into trying again. I got I I'm not crazy about it, but we watched the first two seasons yep. and enjoyed them. Yes. And then we got lost at yeah. the beginning of season three. Well, and I think they decided to take the whole cast to the Caribbean, and that's when the writing went. You know, it, it just it we it lost us. Yeah. Like, I will confess, Vocal Fan, my wife and I had have never, uh, even though we were devout Breaking Bad fans, we've been watching Better Call Saul for the first time. Yeah, um, what a fantastic! Fantastic show! Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, uh, Mag- We've also obviously been watching She-Hulk. Well, yeah, obviously. obviously. <laughs> um, it's on my and, list. And are looking forward to Andor I'm next ready week. For it. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Okay, Vogel fam. So Sarah and I will be back with you next week mm-hmm. um, to do this. My students' breathing philosophy podcast. Podcast. Um, and we, <laughs> that will not make the show. No. Um, uh, and then the week after is Nikki Loney. Is that correct? That sounds do, do, right. Do a little teaching. That sounds like good. Full debates. voice music, some teaching of children, etc., etc., etc. Resources. She runs a That's wonderful correct. podcast. Yeah. Um, so Nikki will be on in two weeks. Uh, and then I'm sure we'll be talking about something else. If you have not had a chance to see that the Nats National Mentoring Collaborative is live for the fall, I highly want to suggest that to you. If you need a sort of pedagogy power-up, just want some mentoring over your teaching, your singing, I guess, your 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 professional profile, your act, career activity, whatever, there are people out there who can help you do it for a very minimal fee for some wonderful time. Um, I've done a few of those sessions over the last couple of years, and they're really rewarding as a mentor, mentee. I highly recommend it, it to you. Um, and then some people are going to be applying for the intern program as the intern program application is. So some people, some people, yeah, 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 some yeah, people. Yeah. I'm getting my life together. Anyway. Getting, I am. I um, swear. All right. Start early. Start early is my I, advice. That's what everybody. I just told her this I week. I don't know. I am. I am. I'm getting it. I'm. I'm. Yes. Anyway, vocal fam. Uh, Sarah, breakfast. Oh, this is a this was a semi healthy breakfast. So it's, this is less embarrassing than usual. Um, it was whole wheat, sugar free blueberry muffins. Yeah, well, okay. But I used monk fruit instead of sugar, so like they didn't taste like cardboard or anything. They were actually quite tasty. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So, all right, all right, vocal fam. That is it for us. We are we will be back with you next week. We are out. Peace. Thank you all so much. <laughs>